Conceptualizing Violence Prevention Since violence is so insidious in our culture, it is difficult to examine the topic, particularly how to prevent violence, in a manner that is systematic and productive. There's been much in the literature about violence prevention, however there is limited research in the area. Multiple perspectives exist, including violence prevention models. In the models, there is significant overlap and approach. Covered in this course are the Public Health Model for Violence Prevention, the Ecological Model, and the New York State SAVE Legislation Model. The Public Health Model for Violence Prevention The public health approach is a four-step process that can be applied to violence and other health problems that affect populations. Step 1. Define the problem. The first step in preventing violence is to understand it. Grasping the magnitude of the problem involves analyzing data such as the number of violence-related behaviors, injuries, and deaths. Data can demonstrate how frequently violence occurs, where it occurs, trends, and who the victims and perpetrators are. These data can be obtained from a variety of sources. In the community, police reports, medical examiner files, vital records, hospital charts, registries, population-based surveys, and other sources can be used to obtain data. It is important that data be collected in a systematic and unbiased manner with uniform definitions and uniform reporting methods. Without such standardization, it is difficult to make use of the data. One teacher with a higher tolerance for activity and noise from students may not identify bullying behavior and may see it as a playful interaction among peers. Another teacher may have a lower tolerance for noise and activity or a greater awareness of what constitutes bullying. Obtaining information from these two teachers would yield significantly different information. What one agency defines as violent behavior, another may define as an assault. Clearly, without uniform definitions and reporting methods, it is difficult to utilize the data and even more difficult to generalize any information from such data. The federal government, as part of the No Child Left Behind Act, requires that states establish a uniform management and reporting system to collect information on school safety and drug use among young people. The states must include incident reports by school officials and anonymous student and teacher surveys in the data they collect. This information is to be publicly reported so that parents, school officials, and others who are interested have information about any violence and drug use at their schools. They can assess the problems at their schools and work toward finding solutions. Continual monitoring and reports will track progress over time. New York State has uniform reporting procedures as well. These will be covered during the specifics related to the SAVE legislation. Step 2. Identify risk and protective factors. It is not enough to know the magnitude of a public health problem. It is important to understand what factors protect people or put them at risk for experiencing or perpetrating violence. Why are risk and protective factors useful? They help identify where prevention efforts need to be focused. Risk factor. Characteristic that increases the likelihood of a person becoming a victim or perpetrator of violence. Protective factor. Characteristic that decreases the likelihood of a person becoming a victim or perpetrator of violence because it provides a buffer against risk. It's not always possible to predict behavior that will lead to violence. 
However, educators and parents, and sometimes students, can recognize certain early warning signs. In some situations, and for some youth, different combinations of events, behaviors, and emotions may lead to aggressive rage or violent behavior toward self or others. A good rule of thumb is to assume that these warning signs, especially when they are presented in combination, indicate a need for further analysis to determine an appropriate intervention. We know from research that most children who become violent toward self or others feel rejected and psychologically victimized. In most cases, children exhibit aggressive behavior early in life and, if not provided support, will continue a progressive developmental pattern toward severe aggression or violence. However, research also shows that when children have a positive, meaningful connection to an adult, whether it be at home, in school, or in the community, the potential for violence is reduced significantly. None of these signs alone is sufficient for predicting aggression and violence. Moreover, it is inappropriate and potentially harmful to use the early warning signs as a checklist against which to match individual children. Rather, the early warning signs are offered only as an aid in identifying and referring children who may need help. School communities must ensure that staff and students only use the early warning signs for identification and referral purposes. Only trained professionals should make diagnoses in consultation with the child's parents or guardian. The following early warning signs are risk factors. They are presented with the following qualifications. They are not equally significant, and they are not presented in order of seriousness. Social withdrawal. In some situations, gradual and eventually complete withdrawal from social contacts can be an important indicator of a troubled child. The withdrawal often stems from feelings of depression, rejection, persecution, unworthiness, and lack of confidence. Excessive feelings of isolation and being alone. Research has shown that the majority of children who are isolated and appear to be friendless are not violent. In fact, these feelings are sometimes characteristic of children and youth who may be troubled, withdrawn, or have internal issues that hinder development of social affiliations. However, research has also shown that in some cases, feelings of isolation and not having friends are associated with children who behave aggressively and violently. Excessive Feelings of Rejection In the process of growing up and in the course of adolescent development, many young people experience emotionally painful rejection. Children who are troubled often are isolated from their mentally healthy peers. Their responses to rejection will depend on many background factors. Without support, they may be at risk of expressing their emotional distress in negative ways, including violence. Some aggressive children who are rejected by non-aggressive peers seek out aggressive friends who in turn reinforce their violent tendencies. Being a Victim of Violence Children who are victims of violence, including physical or sexual abuse in the community, at school, or at home, are sometimes at risk themselves of becoming violent toward themselves or others. Feelings of being picked on and persecuted The youth who feels constantly picked on, teased, bullied, singled out for ridicule, and humiliated at home or at school may initially withdraw socially. If not given adequate support in addressing these feelings, some children may vent them in inappropriate ways, including possible aggression or violence.
low school interest, and poor academic performance. Poor school achievement can be the result of many factors. It is important to consider whether there is a drastic change in performance and or poor performance becomes a chronic condition that limits the child's capacity to learn. In some situations, such as when the low achiever feels frustrated, unworthy, chastised, and or denigrated, acting out in aggressive behaviors may occur. It is important to assess the emotional and cognitive reasons for the academic performance change to determine the true nature of the problem. Expression of Violence in Writings and Drawings Children and youth often express their thoughts, feelings, desires, and intentions in their drawings and in stories, poetry, and other written expressive forms. Many children produce work about violent themes that for the most part is harmless when taken in context. However, an overrepresentation of violence in writings and drawings that is directed at specific individuals, family members, peers, other adults, consistently over time, may signal emotional problems and the potential for violence. Because there is a real danger in misdiagnosing such a sign, it is important to seek the guidance of a qualified professional, such as a school psychologist, counselor, or other mental health specialist. Uncontrolled Anger Everyone gets angry. Anger is a natural emotion. However, anger that is expressed frequently and intensely in response to minor irritants may signal potential violent behavior toward self or others. Patterns of impulsive and chronic hitting, intimidating, and bullying behaviors. Children often engage in acts of shoving and mild aggression. However, some mildly aggressive behaviors, such as a constant hitting and bullying of others, that occur early in children's lives, if left unattended, might later escalate into more serious behaviors. History of Discipline Problems Chronic behavior and disciplinary problems both in school and at home may suggest that underlying emotional needs are not being met. These unmet needs may be manifested in acting out and aggressive behaviors. These problems may set the stage for the child to violate norms and rules, defy authority, disengage from school, and engage in aggressive behaviors with other children and adults. Past History of Violent and Aggressive Behavior Unless provided with support and counseling, a youth who has a history of aggressive or violent behavior is likely to repeat those behaviors. Aggressive and violent acts may be directed toward other individuals, be expressed in cruelty to animals, or include fire-setting. Youth who show an early pattern of antisocial behavior frequently and across multiple settings are particularly at risk for future aggressive and antisocial behaviors. Similarly, youth who engage in overt behaviors such as bullying, generalized aggression and defiance, and covert behaviors such as stealing, vandalism, lying, cheating, and fire-setting are also at risk for more serious aggressive behavior. Research suggests that age of consent may be a key factor in interpreting early warning signs. For example, children who engage in aggression and drug abuse at an early age, before age 12, are more likely to show violence later on than are children who begin such behavior at an older age. In the presence of such signs, it is important to review the child's history with behavioral experts and seek parents' observations and insights. Intolerance for Differences in Prejudicial Attitudes 
All children have likes and dislikes, however an intense prejudice toward others based on racial, ethnic, religious, language, gender, sexual orientation, ability, and physical appearance, when coupled with other factors, may lead to violent assaults against those who are perceived to be different. Membership in hate groups or the willingness to victimize individuals with disabilities or health problems also should be treated as early warning signs. Drug use and alcohol use. Apart from being unhealthy behaviors, drug use and alcohol use reduces self-control and exposes children and youth to violence, either as perpetrators, as victims, or both. Affiliation with gangs. Gangs that support antisocial values and behaviors, including extortion, intimidation, and acts of violence toward other students, cause fear and stress among other students. Youth who are influenced by these groups, those who emulate and copy their behavior, as well as those who become affiliated with them, may adopt these values and act in violent or aggressive ways in certain situations. Gang-related violence and turf battles are common occurrences tied to the use of drugs that often result in injury and or death. Inappropriate access to, possession of, and use of firearms. Children and youth who inappropriately possess or have access to firearms can have an increased risk for violence. Research shows that such youngsters also have a higher probability of becoming victims. Families can reduce inappropriate access and use by restricting, monitoring, and supervising children's access to firearms and other weapons. Children who have a history of aggression, impulsiveness, or other emotional problems should not have access to firearms and other weapons. Serious Threats of Violence Idle threats are a common response to frustration. Alternatively, one of the most reliable indicators that a youth is likely to commit a dangerous act toward self or others is a detailed and specific threat to use violence. Recent incidents across the country clearly indicate that threats to commit violence against oneself or others should be taken very seriously. Steps must be taken to understand the nature of these threats and to prevent them from being carried out. Risk factors contribute to youth violence. They are not the cause of the violence. Such risk factors and protective factors can also be conceptualized as pertaining to the individual, to the family, to social and peer groups, and the broader community. Individual risk factors. History of violent victimization or involvement. Attention deficits, hyperactivity, restlessness, risk-taking, or learning disorders. History of early aggressive behavior. Involvement with drugs, alcohol, or tobacco. Low IQ. Poor behavioral control. Deficits in social, cognitive, or information processing abilities. High emotional distress. History of treatment for emotional problems. Antisocial beliefs and attitudes. And exposure to violence and conflict in the family. Family risk factors authoritarian child-rearing attitudes, harsh, lax, or inconsistent disciplinary practices, low parental involvement, low emotional attachment of parents or caregivers, low parental education and income, parental substance abuse or criminality, poor family functioning or poor family management practices,
poor monitoring and supervision of children, poor family bonding and family conflict, parental attitudes favorable to substance use and violence, and parent-child separation, peer or school risk factors, association with delinquent peers, involvement in gangs, social rejection by peers, lack of involvement in conventional activities, poor academic performance, low commitment to school and school failure or low bonding to school, delinquent siblings, academic failure, truancy and dropping out of school, and frequent school transitions. Community risk factors, diminished economic opportunities, high concentrations of poor residents, high level of transiency, high level of family disruption, low levels of community participation, socially disorganized neighborhoods, poverty, availability of drugs and firearms, neighborhood adults involved in crime, and exposure to violence and racial prejudice. Protective factors buffer young people from risks of becoming violent. These factors exist at various levels. Protective factors serve to mediate the negative impact of risk factors that are associated with violence. To date, protective factors have not been studied as extensively or rigorously as risk factors. However, identifying and understanding protective factors are equally as important as researching risk factors. Individual protective factors Resilient temperament Intolerant attitude toward deviance Good-natured High IQ or high grade point average Positive social orientation Enjoyment of social interactions Religiosity Female gender, even with same risk factors, girls are less likely than boys to become violent. Family protective factors. Connectedness to family or adults outside of the family. Adults who behave as role models for children who solve problems without violence. Adults who set clear standards for behavior and by showing the benefits and consequences of behavior. Ability to discuss problems with parents. Perceived parental expectations about school performance are high. Frequent shared activities with parents. And consistent presence of parent during at least one of the following. When awakening, when arriving home from school, at evening mealtime, and when going to bed. Involvement in social activities. Peer or school protective factors. Commitment to school. Involvement in social activities. Characteristics of Youth Who Have Caused School-Associated Violent Deaths The National Safe Schools Center studied school-associated violent deaths in the United States during the 1990s. They identified common characteristics of youth who have caused such deaths. The following list identifies behaviors which could indicate a youth's potential for harming him or herself or others. While there is no guarantee that these characteristics and behaviors identify potentially dangerous students who may harm themselves and or others, they are clearly red flags that should be further considered. In the review of such violent incidents, in most cases, a troubled youth has demonstrated these behaviors or has talked to others about problems with bullying and feelings of isolation, anger, depression, and frustration has a history of tantrums and uncontrollable angry outbursts, 
characteristically resorts to name-calling, cursing, or abusive language, habitually makes violent threats when angry, has previously brought a weapon to school, has a background of serious disciplinary problems at school and in the community, has a background of drug, alcohol, or other substance abuse or dependency, is on the fringe of his or her peer group with few or no close friends, is preoccupied with weapons, explosives, or other incendiary devices, has previously been truant, suspended, or expelled from school, displays cruelty to animals, has little or no supervision and support from parents or a caring adult, has witnessed or been a victim of abuse or neglect in the home, has been bullied and or bullies or intimidates peers or younger children, tends to blame others for difficulties and problems she or he has caused her or himself, consistently prefers TV shows, movies, or music expressing violent themes and acts, prefers reading materials dealing with violent themes, rituals, and abuse, reflects anger, frustration, and the dark side of life in school essays or writing projects, is involved with a gang or an antisocial group on the fringe of peer acceptance, is often depressed and or has significant mood swings, or has threatened or attempted suicide. Step 3. Develop and Test Prevention Strategies Research data and findings from needs assessments, community surveys, stakeholder interviews, and focus groups are useful for designing prevention programs. Using these data and findings is known as an evidence-based approach to program planning. Once programs are implemented, they are evaluated rigorously to determine their effectiveness. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Center for Injury Prevention and Control, develop Best Practices of Youth Violence Prevention, a Sourcebook for Community Action, 2002. The goal of this document, which expanded on the earlier 1993 version, was to share the experience of those who have successfully intervened in preventing youth violence. It serves as a blueprint for communities and the various agencies and organizations serving the community, including schools. The strategies outlined in this document include parent and family-based strategies. These are designed to improve family relationships. There is growing evidence that these interventions, especially those that start early and recognize all the factors that influence a family, can have substantial long-term effects in reducing violent behavior by children. Parent and family-based interventions combine training and parenting skills, education about child development, and the factors that predispose children to violent behavior and exercises to help parents develop skills for communicating with their children and for resolving conflict in nonviolent ways. This type of intervention is ideal for families with very young children and for at-risk parents with a child on the way. Home Visiting Strategy Many European countries provide home visits to all families regardless of risk status. Some advocates have argued that this service should be made available to all families in the United States as well. But home visiting interventions are resource-intensive, and few communities have the financial and human resources needed to carry out an effective program on such a large scale. Therefore, targeting select groups for home visiting services is typically most appropriate. 
A needs assessment conducted with input from the community will help identify families who could benefit most from a home visiting intervention. Community leaders should play a key role in this decision as they are often in a position to direct the allocation of resources. Social Cognitive Strategy Researchers have linked a lack of social problem-solving skills to youth violence. When children and adolescents are faced with social situations for which they are unprepared emotionally and cognitively, they may respond with aggression or violence. Many assert that we can improve children's ability to avoid violent situations and solve problems non-violently by enhancing their social relationships with peers, teaching them how to interpret behavioral cues, and improving their conflict resolution skills. Social cognitive interventions strive to equip children with the skills they need to deal effectively with difficult social situations, such as being teased or being the last one picked to join a team. They build on Albert Bandura's social cognitive theory, which posits that children learn social skills by observing and interacting with parents, adult relatives and friends, teachers, peers, and others in the environment, including media role models. Social cognitive interventions incorporate didactic teaching, modeling, and role-playing to enhance positive social interactions, teach nonviolent methods for resolving conflict, and establish or strengthen nonviolent beliefs in young people. Mentoring Strategy Research has shown that the presence of a positive adult role model to supervise and guide a child's behavior is a key protective factor against violence. The absence of such a role model, whether a parent or other individual, has been linked to a child's risk for drug and alcohol use, sexual promiscuity, aggressive or violent behavior, and inability to maintain stable employment later in life. Mentoring is the pairing of a young person with a volunteer who acts as a supportive, non-judgmental role model. It has been touted by many as an excellent means of providing a child or adolescent with a positive adult influence when such an influence does not otherwise exist. Evidence has shown that mentoring can significantly improve school attendance and performance, reduce violent behavior, decrease the likelihood of drug use, and improve relationships with friends and parents. In 2007, the CDC published the Task Force on Community Preventative Services Systematic Review of Universal School-Based Violence Prevention Programs. Programs were identified as universal because they were administered to all children in classrooms regardless of individual risk, not only to those who already manifested violent or aggressive behavior or those who had risk factors for these behaviors. The task force concluded, the result of this review provided strong evidence that universal school-based programs decrease rates of violence and aggressive behavior among school-age children. Program effects were demonstrated at all grade levels. An independent meta-analysis of school-based programs confirmed and supplemented these findings. On the basis of strong evidence of effectiveness, the task force recommends the use of universal school-based programs to prevent or reduce violent behavior. No plan will make a school immune to violence. However, schools can plan for and execute violence prevention strategies as well as effective responses when prevention efforts are not effective. A violence prevention and response plan in place reduces the likelihood of violence and helps schools respond quickly and effectively to violent incidents that may occur.
Just as the causes of violence in our society, as well as in our schools, are multidimensional, so are the interventions to reduce or eliminate violence. Additionally, school violence occurs in a unique context in every school, making a one-size-fits-all approach ineffective. No one particular plan for school safety will address the issues in all schools or for every child. The issues related to safety in schools is addressed through multiple levels, including the federal and state governments, the school district, the specific school, the classroom, and individual teachers and students. The task force found additional benefits of such violence prevention programs. Reduced truancy, improvements in school achievement, reduction in problem behavior, reduced activity levels, decreased attention problems, improved social skills, decreased internalization of problems, for example, anxiety and depression. According to the New York State Center for School Safety, 2001, educational strategies that are promising in reducing or preventing violence include mentoring, social skills development, conflict resolution skills, peer mediation, and parental involvement. Step 4. Assure Widespread Adoption Once prevention programs have proven effective, they must be disseminated. Communities are encouraged to adapt programs to meet their own needs and to evaluate the program's success. Dissemination techniques to promote widespread adoption include training, such as this course you are now completing, technical assistance, and process evaluation. A critical method for ensuring adoption is to enact laws governing dissemination of information. The 2000 New York State SAVE legislation is one such method for ensuring adoption of violence prevention strategies. The SAVE legislation mandated this course as well as the specific violence prevention strategies that will be covered later in this course. The Ecological Framework the World Health Organization, 2002, offers the ecological framework, which is based on evidence that no single factor can explain why some people or groups are at higher risk of interpersonal violence, while others are more protected from it. This framework views interpersonal violence as the outcome of interaction among many factors at four levels, the individual, the relationship, the community, and the societal. The ecological framework specifically addresses the risk and protective factors, which were also a part of the public health model addressed previously. 1. At the individual level, personal history and biological factors influence how individuals behave and increase their likelihood of becoming a victim or a perpetrator of violence. Among these factors are being a victim of child maltreatment, psychological or personality disorders, alcohol and or substance abuse, and a history of behaving aggressively or having experienced abuse. 2. Personal relationships such as family, friends, intimate partners, and peers may influence the risk of becoming a victim or perpetrator of violence. For example, having violent friends may influence whether a young person engages in or becomes a victim of violence. 3. Community contexts in which social relationships occur, such as schools, neighborhoods, and workplaces, also influence violence. Risk factors here may include the level of unemployment, population density, mobility, and the existence of a local drug or gun trade. And four, 
Societal factors influence whether violence is encouraged or inhibited. These include economic and social policies that maintain socioeconomic inequalities between people, the availability of weapons, and social and cultural norms such as those around male dominance over women, parental dominance over children, and cultural norms that endorse violence as an acceptable method to resolve conflicts. The ecological framework treats the interaction between factors at the different levels with equal importance to the influence of factors within a single level. For example, longitudinal studies suggest that complications associated with pregnancy and delivery, perhaps because they lead to neurological damage and psychological or personality disorder, seem to predict violence in youth and young adulthood mainly when they occur in combination with other problems within the family, such as poor parenting practices. The ecological framework helps explain the result violence later in life, as the interaction of an individual risk factor, the consequences of complications during birth, and a relationship risk factor, the experience of poor parenting. This framework is also useful to identify and cluster intervention strategies based on the ecological level in which they act. For example, home visitation interventions act in the relationship level to strengthen the bond between parent and child by supporting positive parenting practices. Save Legislation Model The New York State Legislature addressed the concepts of violence prevention in the SAVE legislation. There are three critical domains that form the core of violence prevention efforts, education, legal regulatory, and environmental domains. The SAVE legislation requires that all of these domains are integrated into the school's comprehensive safety plan. Educational Domain Education covers the areas of information dissemination and skill teaching and development. Through SAVE, the education domain is addressed through training of school personnel in violence prevention and the training of students in character education and development of nonviolent communication skills. New York State health mandates utilize research-based educational strategies in the curricula that teach specific skills to students in anger management, empathy and perspective-taking, social problem-solving, communication, and peace-building. The skills that students learn through the health mandates help them with specific violence prevention strategies such as mentoring. This requires skill in communication, self-management, and advocacy. Social skills requires communication, advocacy, and social problem-solving skills. Conflict resolution requires communication, decision-making, planning, self-management, social problem-solving, and advocacy skills. Peer mediation requires communication, decision-making, planning, self-management, problem-solving, and advocacy skills. Parent involvement requires communication, planning, and goal-setting skills. Additionally, education is aimed at teachers and school staff in order to identify and intervene in potentially violent situations. Staff must be aware of warning signs of escalating behaviors and know what the procedures are for intervention. Some warning signs, which may be signs of imminent crisis, include the verbalization of lethal violence, presentation of a detailed plan, which would include time, place, and method, to harm self or others, exhibiting self-injurious behavior, displaying severe rage, 
engaging in serious physical fighting with peers or others, and severe destruction of property. Interventions in imminent crisis include take threats seriously. Don't dismiss threats as idle talk. Talk with the student if possible. Ask open-ended questions in an effort to keep the person talking. Do not leave the youth alone, but make sure to keep a safe distance, utilizing environmental barriers as needed, depending on the student's behavior. Avoid exhibiting aggressive body movements. Avoid the projection of authority. Utilize mental health professionals if the student is unwilling to talk or is continuing to express violent or dangerous thoughts or behavior. Alert school administration, school psychologist or counselor, parents or guardians, mental health professionals or police as needed. And whenever possible, attempt to verbally diffuse the situation until help arrives. Legal Regulatory Domain Legal regulatory includes codes of conduct, rules, policies, and procedures, laws, and disciplinary codes. Under SAVE, the legal regulatory domain is extensive. For example, required codes of conduct, detailed procedures for pupil removal and suspension, and coordination of efforts between the juvenile justice system and the school. Additional items related to this domain will be covered in more detail in the next section of this course. Environmental Domain The environmental domain encompasses the physical and social environment. The physical and environmental domains are addressed under the SAVE law by examining the school environment and physical plant for safety and security and continual refinement of the school's safety plans. The physical environment includes lighting, landscaping, width of hallways, doorways, and other modifications to the actual physical plant. The focus is on safety. The social environment includes activities such as the social climate of the school, after-school programs, and daycare. The environmental domain also includes recognition of the emotional climate of the school in the event of a critical incident involving violence. The aftermath of such an incident impacts students and staff and can have long-term consequences for all involved. Imperative to all is the recreation of security, both physical and emotional, for children and staff who witnessed or who heard about a violent incident. Counseling and mental health services should be offered to students and staff who have been impacted. Such interventions can mitigate consequences of violence, such as acute traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other emotional or behavioral reactions to a critical incident. It is important to remember that anniversary dates of such incidents may also invoke a significant emotional or behavior response.